Customizing a suit should be more than just taking your measurements. Indochino lets you design every detail in their women's wear line, so you get a look tailored to your style. So you don't just fit your clothes, your clothes fit you. With endless ways to customize, designing an outfit is easy. Find your perfect fit from Indochino. For 10% off, use promo code WOMEN when you visit Indochino.com to book a showroom appointment or place an order. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O dot com, promo code WOMEN. Hi, this is Bethany Finger, and you are listening to a Prince Kai Fan Pod bonus episode. Enjoy! So welcome to a very special Prince Kai Fan Pod episode. I am Bethany Finger, your host. I'm joined by my three favorite writers today, and we are going to basically just have a regular writing meeting, but we'll let you guys listen <laughs> to, to the chaoticness of it, because I get I get questions all the time of like, what on earth is a critique partner? What do you guys talk about? So yeah, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? I'm Abigail, Bethany's critique partner. And the author of the Daughter of the Moon trilogy. And the author of Daughter of the Moon trilogy. <laughs> and also author of some of the best uh, Creswell fiction, fan fiction yeah. there is out there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Often number one Cresswell fan fiction. It, yeah, it, it alternates between one and two, depending on when I upload. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I am Natalie. I um, also uh, sometimes like, critique uh, some of of Anthony's work. Um, I haven't been writing as much as I want to because I've been more editing and anything else lately. Um, but I'm here for the writing vibes. And- <laughs> <laughs> so I have been bitten by the writing bug. Oh. Um, because I've written, <clears throat> Abigail knows because I keep blowing up her phone. But <laughs> Every I, couple of days it'll be like, get how much more I wrote. Get how much more I wrote. Um, but yeah, I wrote my entire first, the, so the sto- series I'm working on right now is a trilogy, and I wrote the whole first book, which is about 120,000 words, um, in about two weeks, and now I'm about a quarter of the way through the second book, which may sound insane to some of you, but listen, let me explain how my brain works. <laughs> I am either doing nothing but writing, or I'm not writing at all. I don't know why, but I'm not capable of being somewhere in the middle. So when I'm when I have that like idea mind frame of I'm gonna write this, that's all I do with my spare time. I go to work and I write. Even at work, I'm constantly like taking notes on my phone to the point now where my boss is like, Oh, did you get an idea? <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, I just gotta gotta write it down real quick. <laughs> It'd be like that. Well, a general ed teacher, but I enjoy teaching English the most. And so I do a lot of editing already with my own students every day. And then I even enjoy keep doing it when I get home and checking over my critique partner, Suarez's work as well. So uh, lately I've been thinking that I've been enjoying editing more than writing. So maybe that's like inside, it's like, oh, maybe that is my calling. But I do... Uh, but when I do get that writing bug, it, it is, I just spend the next few days daydreaming and then my husband would just hear me rant about like, okay, but there's this girl and then she, okay, so listen up, there's this girl, right, right, okay, she she, 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 she discovered this, okay, and then this, she's in this place, okay, but the villain, and then I just go on these rants, and all, he's like, okay, say, all right, all right, yeah, and my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Sumaya is here. Sumaya, do you want to introduce yourself? 
Uh, sure. Um, I didn't hear you guys really go through it. So, um, hi, I'm Sumaya Haji. Um, I've been in a bonus episode, I think, like in November. <laughs> yeah, because your fan fiction on Omega Bob. Yeah. Hope yeah. you guys liked it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I am currently writing a fantasy um retelling of Aladdin and a Thousand and One Nights. And I just finished my second draft of my fourth draft, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know about you guys, but I had a tiny idea and now it's completely different. So Abigail read the first idea I had, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it's changed even just, I don't even remember what I sent you. Was it modern day what I sent you or was it fantasy? It was kind of both. Okay. I I hadn't like figured out. I don't think you had like specified. I thought that it was modern day. And then you said something at some point about like her floor length dress or something about her shoes. And it yeah. was like, oh, wait a second. Is it fantasy? So I think you were probably still kind of figuring that out. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's going to be, thanks to Sumaya, it's going to be a historical fantasy because originally it was going to be temporary. Um, and I felt really kind of suffocated by, by the restrictions of that. Um, and so Sumaya suggested like, well, can it just be like historical fantasy and then you can do whatever you want. And so I did and I do whatever I want. And it's fun no, no, no. making up a bunch of stuff. So all I do is now just make stuff up. Um, and then I think it was Abigail who was like, does it have to be first person? And I said, I've never written third person. And so I started writing third person and now I just, I get to do so much and I'm constantly like, whose perspective do I want for this scene? And I'll just randomly be like, how about her perspective? And so it's mostly my two main characters. Um, but every once in a while I toss somebody else in there. Cause why the hell not? I can't, mm-hmm. I want to, I can. Um, yeah. And the beauty the of third person. Of, right. I love third person. Now I used mm-hmm. to avoid it because I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll connect as well, but um, I actually have a really good like grasp on separating character voices now from doing the third person. So that's kind of, um, I don't know, just really just awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Third third person has always been my preferred reading and writing Method. point of view. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. I think, and I'm, I'm not kidding. You're van. Oh, have you wait people vanity is like, that's public knowledge, right? That's not. Oh yeah. Vanity is public okay. knowledge. I was like, Oh shoot. <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, no, no. These are some of the few people who even know the concept of it. I mean, <laughs> I'm holding it very close to my chest. And I don't really know why. I just, I feel very protective of it right this second. It's good to be um, protective. But yeah, Vanity, I feel like, was public knowledge to listeners. It was okay, I, I, I thought it was. I on about a, a girl with an eating disorder. Um, yeah, but Vanity was one of the very few first-person books that I actually enjoyed and felt that it was a benefit to be first person most of the time mm-hmm. I genuinely I genuinely feel like every first person book is the same character just in a different setting yeah so I think it, with it, first person it's hard to differentiate yeah and I also think that like some books really benefit from one versus the other the current mm-hmm. story I'm working on right now especially the first chapter of the first book, the main character is not the main character. The main character of the first chapter is actually grief, the like emotional concept of grief. And you can't really okay. do that in first person. Um, but in third person, I've been able to make grief 
kind of a a central focus of the first portion of that book um to the point where maybe it's not necessarily a main character but um it's very relevant it's it's almost a part of the setting a part of the world mm-hmm. um yeah, that was and that was really difficult for me because I feel like a lot of times in in books and movies and TV shows, like characters don't really deal with loss. It's a lot of like, well, right now I can't handle it or I have to focus on like saving the world or um, my favorite is Tracy Wolf in the Crave series where the main character is constantly like, I'm going to put that in a folder called stuff I don't have time to deal with right now, um, <laughs> which is like my favorite version of compartmentalizing something I can't, I'm not capable of emotionally. Um, so I really wanted to explore the idea of like, well, what if grief wasn't something you could just avoid dealing with? What if it was like just all around you all the time, no matter what you did or said or experienced, it was just like right there. Um, And so that's why it's like one of my main components, which has been very therapeutic for me, I think. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, First person. I enjoy both equally, both third and first, but it always depends if the story focuses a lot on both internal and external conflict that the character is going through, then I will like the first person. Uh, but if it's uh, one that is a group of people and then of course third person is the best one, uh, cause I feel like it, uh, it can be hard to pull off first person when you have different characters. But first person is so always so fun when, especially when the characters are sassy or fun, like you said, like, oh, I was just going to put that in my stuff. I don't care about folder. Right. Um, I remember there was one, uh, uh, novel uh, series I read a few years ago where the character is like this spoiled brat that has to move to like middle of nowhere Oklahoma and she's like my shoes and like my things and all that stuff and then and you and you see her character development and she goes from a spoiled brat to like hey you know what I'll embrace the adventure or whatever and and you see all that internalized dialogue and everything and that's where you know that's where you need first person Versus yeah. obviously having different third person. You want to see. What do you guys think of like limited third person, where it's like it's a third person point of view, but you're still only getting one character voice throughout the entire series, like Harry Potter, for example. I have not read Harry Potter, so I can't well, use that. That's a good point. That's that a good point. As, um, um, Heartless, Heartless by Marissa Meyer is like that. I haven't read that either. It's on my TBR list. It's literally oh, upstairs on my TBR well, list. I haven't read. <laughs> So it's it's written in third person, but you're only seeing the POV of one character throughout the entire series. I honestly still prefer, in theory, would prefer that to first person. I don't know why, necessarily. I just, I I feel like even in general prefer to third person. But like, when I think about like books I've read in the past, like The Hunger Games, that's first person. And that was like an amazing series. Or, um, what else? I think Divergent was also in first person. If I'm not. Up to yeah. the last. The last. Up, up to the last one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I think if the author. Uh, uh, do all of you read the uh, the the whole series? Of yes. Divergent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So if you're listening <laughs> and you have not read the three of uh, the three of them, it's Fast okay. Forward, like five minutes. <laughs> That's an easy. Okay. If I uh, do a spoiler, spoiler warning and then talk about the spoiler of the last book. <laughs> yeah, that it series out? has been out for like ten years. All right, so we know uh, <laughs> we know the big thing that happens in the last book, right? Um, and and I remember reading a review that says I saw it coming because in the third book, like first 
book and second book, they are in the um, first person point of view. But then in the yeah, third they book, so suddenly they alternate, and I, put, I mm-hmm. and I think that gives it away. Like for me, it didn't give it away, but for but I can see how the reviewer said it gave it away for me that was going to happen because how you suddenly just change it up. I think the other two have done it from the beginning, and it would have made sense. I mean, four uh, was a very prevalent character from day, from book one. So I feel like book one and two could have also enjoyed some of Four's mm-hmm. point of view as well. Uh, I think there's a good case of first point of view in there because the same thing, Tris has to go through the character development of, am I selfless or am I brave? And you see that yeah. internalized conflict going on and you see that character development. Like, oh, maybe I can be both. Uh, so I feel like it's where first point of view works really well because you see that internalized conflict. Uh, but then the third book is like, you also see the conflict that Four has to go through with dealing with his mom and himself and then Triss. Uh, and I feel like that's where the authors should have from the beginning just include both point of views from book one. I think I think what's hard about first person is that when you're reading it, you you're constantly reading I, me, myself. And so it's hard to picture a character and not like, some twisted version of yourself that fits into this particular story. I think that's why so many people are like, what did Bella Swan actually look like in the books? Because you don't think about Bella Swan. You think about I, me, myself. I said this. I felt this. He touched my hand, like stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes it difficult for a reader to separate. And that might just be (laughs) (laughs) my experience, but um, but I know that like for me, when I'm reading a dual perspective book, that's written in first person, it pulls me so much, mm-hmm. especially when it's like, if it's like going back and forth between like a boy and girl, I'm specifically thinking of like the bloodline series, which is a brilliant series. I love it. But I think like the third book on you go back and forth in perspective between Sydney and Adrian, but it's still in first person. So it's like the first that'll start a chapter and be like, okay, Chapter four, Adrian, and then I'm supposed to remember that it's Adrian's voice, even though it's constantly I, me, myself. And mm-hmm. those, like, they're fine if it's an audiobook, right? Because you're going back and forth between, like, a male voice and a female voice, so it's really easy to to separate. But if you're reading I to page, I think it can be difficult to to really separate those two voices. You have to be a really talented writer to pull that off. I'm glad you mentioned the whole description thing in the first person, because I feel like it's a one of the biggest like big things in first point of view how to deal uh the most common cliche was the mirror description i woke up in the morning and i brushed my yeah. long flowy hair and looked at my blue eyes how yeah. often does you do you yourself uh look at yourself in the mirror in the morning so like oh i'm i'm gonna brush my brown hair and look at my blue eyes like you know not really that much so yeah, it, I'm that, guilty that's what of that i did that in my because i do third person but I've only, so my book is third person, but it goes between past and present. And I only have like other POVs nearing the end of the chapter or like the okay. end of the, the book. So it's like, I use the point of this character who like, she, she hasn't seen a mirror in a while. And she was like, oh, look how sunburned I am or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I know what different tools you can use for that. Like you don't have to I feel like the way Natalie's describing is very common, especially in young adult books. Um, but I feel like there's ways to avoid that. I feel like you could say like 
you know, I really wanted to wear green because I was feeling insecure and I wanted to wear a color that like brought out the shade of my eyes. So I picked out my green sweater today. There you go. Now we know she's wearing a green sweater and she has green eyes or, or, you know, it's like, oh, I try not to wear the color black because I feel like my dark hair just blends right in. Okay. Now we know she has dark hair. Like, Mm -hmm. or, you know, I think Abigail in one of her, not in first person, but I think in one of her books, she was talking about like how her character, like, loved her curly hair, but it was constantly getting tangled. And so she had to like braid it all the time for when she was like, you know, active and doing things. Like, I feel like there are certain ways you can do that without it feeling, you know, like I have blue eyes. Like <laughs> pulling you out. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's why it's something that I've always started to notice uh, when I started writing is whenever reading a first person or, fi- or third person was how are they going to pull up the character description thing? Mm-hmm. Best as I can think of is in Cinder. Cinder, at no point do we tell, oh, hey, Cinder has tan skin, she has Asian features, she has brown um, hair. It's more like when she's in the lab and she notices a reflection and she's like, whoa, that's me? Like, she looks, that girl in the reflection looks so tired. Like, her tan skin is now so pale and her hair is all over the place. Like, it was natural. Like you said, something that, it's like, if you certainly stop the narrative to say, I have brown hair. You're going to pull a reader out. It's like I was reading. Oh, such good word choice. Stop the narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and a lot of what I love character descriptions coming from another person, like how Kai notices yeah. her skin was darkened from the sun, you know, stuff like yeah. that. Um, An Ember in the Ashes. Sue, I know you and I have talked about this series. I know you haven't read it, so I won't say any spoilers, but that's a first person series and it alternates. The first book, it alternates between two. Second book, it alternates between three. She, like, keeps adding people that she alternates between. But I th- thought it was really – the author did a really good job distinguishing the voices because, so, like, going back to Divergent, I personally didn't think that it, that was well done in the third book because I would get so confused when I was reading the story. Okay, wait, are we in Trish's perspective or are we in Tobias's? Like, I had to go and reference to see, whereas in Ember in the Ashes, it was clear just by the voice who was talking. Um and we see a lot of like, okay, so, you know, first first chapter starts out with Laia. She's talking, okay, what does she look like? We don't know until we get to Elias and he's seeing her and noticing, oh, her long hair got tangled in a branch, her dark yes. skin. So it was, it's, I like seeing how other people perceive the main character or just a character instead of that person saying my long hair, my blue eyes. <laughs> I think you can also compare like people. I th- I know not to give too many spoilers, but like, I know one of the characters in my book is kind of younger um, and he's surrounded by people, you know, he's like 20 and he's surrounded by people who are like 25, 26. And so one of the scenes he's talking to someone and he's like, God, I wish my beard would grow in like that. Mine's all patchy and his is like bushy and big and masculine. And it's like, okay, so now we know that he has like this tiny little beard <laughs> and like <laughs> peach fuzz. I, I am so happy. I am so happy you mentioned Amber in the ashes. I mean, Samaya, we're just talking about it. She's going to buy her set soon so we can read it together. I read only the first book so far and I possibly so we, I can reread it again because of how much I loved it and then continue body reading with Samaya. But in Amber in the ashes... Uh, and I remember in the very first chapter, it's not a spoiler because it happens in the first chapter, but we already can tell a little bit about Laia because it's, I always mispronounce her name. It's a Leia or Laia. I say Laia. Laia? Okay, I, I, say Laia. I feel like Leia is L-I-E. There's an E yeah. in Leia. Yeah, so I'm going to go with Laia, of course. Um, and, um, and, and in the first chapter, uh, so something's a conflict going on and a soldier walks in and the soldier just looks at her and say, 
oh, look at this girl with brown hair. Like, you know, like maliciously looking at her. And and this is the soldier who said it. Like, because, and it's, it's a distinguishing thing because there's two groups of people. There's the people like her who are more like, have more like Middle Eastern features of brown hair. Like she, she and her mm-hmm. group uh, and her ethnic group are part of this one group called the scholars who are all based on a Middle Eastern uh, group while you have another group that's more like Romania, uh, not Romanian, uh, I think Roman, like more based on the Roman Empire. So that, then you can already tell the features between, okay, so her group of people, when she talks about her family herself, you know, it's more like Middle Eastern inspired mm-hmm. uh, and so on. And then same thing when then we switch to the second point of view of uh, Elias. Elias, oh my goodness. I, I, was about <laughs> to say, I was about to say Tobias. I was like, no, it's not Tobias. It's similar. Uh, it's the same thing. It's like, and then I noticed in the middle of the crowd, this one girl, her hair was long and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and another part is, I don't know, I'm about to end with my, I love this series, it's so good, but in another part you is... You love this series and you've only read the first book? I know, I already love it, and I already, I okay. already love it. And Natalie, already... I'm not going to spoil anything for you, beware in the fourth book, do not get attached to anyone, I'm not saying why, I'm just saying be prepared. I was so mad at my friend who recommended the series and did not prepare me for the ending, so I'm not going to say anything, I'm not going to say what happened, or, you know... Uh, no, I'm not saying why. I'm just don't saying read the book. Savata here. <laughs> Honestly, I would say stop reading at the third one. <laughs> if you want so, my honest opinion, Savata stop reading here, at the, the third one. <laughs> the author is really good friends with Victoria Avayard, and they both like to be trigger happy with their pen. So seriously, so okay. I just I just read or just finished the Red Queen because it's it's been on my TBR list for a while, and that's one of my like New Year's goals is to read all my unread books in my collection. Oh God, I can't commit to that. <laughs> <laughs> so and I read that, and seriously, I am so like I don't mind spoilers, and especially with books because I'm such a I was gonna say foodie, but with books, a reader. Um, no, I, I like don't, it, reedy. <laughs> a reedy, <laughs> a reedy. <laughs> I don't seriously I finished an ember in the ashes that fourth book and I was crying and I was so upset and it like ruined my mood I know that's so terrible to say but like it just no, made I've me so there. sad so when I read books Book that's why Bethany over. I texted you at the princess diaries I was like okay I gotta know do my do Mia and Michael end up together because if they don't end up together I'm not finishing the series I'm, right I'm not now. I'm not ready to be I'm sad again <laughs> So, and okay, you know, that's good to know. When you messaged me that, I was like, oh, I bet I know what book she's on. Because it's, it's really <laughs> jarring to the reader to be like, wait, what? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, and I got to that book and I was like, oh, to finish dude, with my thing about To finish with my thing about the Ember and the Ashes, which, again, it, I could catch. Like, I already saying I love this seriously, but that only read the first book. But uh, the in one of the descriptions for Elias, he um, he's looking at his mother and says, we couldn't, if I didn't tell you she, we, she was my mother, you could never tell. We were so different. Where mm-hmm. she had blue eyes, mine were darker. And that, and that was like That's a really good. good way to also introduce his own uh, looks as well. Because he's not there like, hey, everybody, my name is Elias. And I have brown eyes and I have brown hair. Like it yeah. was more like, hey, like, you know, people, everybody was looking at my mother. And, you know, and people were wondering, like, how we're related. Well, let me tell you. And I mean, he didn't say that, too. but. When I'm writing, and I'm sure Abigail probably realized this reading what I write, but um, when I'm writing, one of the things I like to do to distinguish between character voices is 
um, like what they say. I feel like Mm -hmm. people constantly say the same things over and over again. So I think, I think it was Xander was constantly saying like, sure, sure. Or nah, or something. It's like, okay, now I know that's Xander because Mm -hmm. I feel like real people do that. They have like little phrases that they say all the time or Mm -hmm. they speak in a certain style when they, when, you know, maybe they use their hands a lot. Or mm-hmm. maybe they don't use con like uh, one of my characters in my new book is very sophisticated, so she doesn't use um, um, words that I can't remember. <laughs> contractions is that what? That oh, means? okay, yeah, she contractions. Doesn't, she doesn't say doesn't. She would say I do not. Like, so oh yeah, I feel like those are really fun ways to differentiate between certain characters without it being constantly like, you know, he said, she said, so and so said. So and so said, I as a writer am constantly like, how can I avoid frequently saying he said? And so I'm always like, you know, she shifted in her seat, blah, 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 or something like before or after the dialogue so that I can avoid too much he said, she said after um, speaking. And I don't know if that helps with the <laughs> reader when getting different character voices, but I know as a writer, it helps me to differentiate between people. And honestly, that in and of itself is hard to do because yes, people do that in real life. But when you're reading a book and you keep reading, at least I'll speak for me personally, when I'm reading a book and I'm reading like the same phrase over and over again, it kind of is like, okay, wait, is that intentional? Or did the writer just forget that she he or she put that there already. You have to do it the right way. Right. And I think, um, okay, going it. back to Marissa Meyer, Thorne yeah. always says aces, but never once yeah. when he says that, am I like, oh my gosh, he just said that five seconds ago. It's like, okay, that's exactly. that's what he says as part of his character and who he is and his vocabulary. Like it didn't yeah. come across as awkward. Or like Vander was always being very facetious, but it was yeah. never the exact same way. Right. It has it to was be always different. subtly different. Yeah, it has to be just slightly different every time. And you can't overdo it. It can't be every right. single time that that character has a scene, they say aces. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to feel <laughs> organic to the story. It has to feel organic to the scene and the setting and the situation. Like when something is happening where Marissa wants to curse and characters don't curse in YA, okay, I'll use aces. But just be like, well, it's Thorne's chapter, so I have to have the word aces in here somewhere. That would feel very forced. Right. It's uh, It reminds me of in Red Queen. Um, and as, it was a really entertaining book, and I really enjoyed reading it. But, it was, uh, but the protagonist kept saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that when you... Uh, I honestly I know, did not. I'll I know, uh, I know if you, attention. Abigail and Samaya, I know you both read Red Queen. And I don't know if you noticed that part. But it was, always, it was part... It was. I read it very recently, only a few months ago, so it's fresh in my memory. But um, it was like, if this is what it is, then I don't know. If that's what it is, then I don't know. If this, it's always a... It's something I always notice in YA books. It's like, if black space is whatever... I don't know. If so-and-so was confused, they didn't show it. If so-and-so was angry, they didn't show it. And it's like, it's like a phrase that I hear a lot along in uh, um, English. Oh my goodness. Alongside of holding a breath, uh, releasing a breath that they didn't know I was holding. Oh my gosh, every book. <laughs> I, I put it in my book and I spent three and a half hours making sure that it was slightly different. <laughs> Then I let out a breath I wasn't holding. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how I did, but Abigail will tell me at the end of this month when she reads my first draft. Um, yeah, it'll interrupt the recording, but I'll just stick. Oh, okay. 
Um, but I always say something like, uh, I felt my chest tight for from holding in so, so much breath. Yeah, I, I don't, like, I don't remember yeah. what I said, but I avoided anything close to the phrase, I let out a breath I didn't know I was holding. Any <laughs> of those words were not in it. I made sure of it. So I don't remember what I did, but I thought it was really good and I was excited. But um, the thing I was going to say is, how do you guys feel when you're writing about repetitiveness? Do you ever think like, all right, I'm going to have to edit because I feel like I use this phrase a lot or I feel like I say that they touched hands a lot or they brushed or something like that? Because mm-hmm. I know for me, my first draft <clears throat> is filled with repetition, but I my brain is already like, okay, I'm going to go back and do other things so that it's not the same way. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, I see exactly what you mean. I store side, she cited, he cited. Yeah. And I'm like, how many people, how many times do people do this? Like, <laughs> like, and I do it way too much. It's like, I need they to find have, something. Like, their lives are at stake. They need to take in a breath. Yes. But I guess it's like, <laughs> like holding hands or I'm like, how many times do they touch each other's shoulders? Like, there has to be other ways for them to like accidentally physically interact. Um, and then I think I do that too, where it's like they were, they sighed or they yawned or they were exacerbated or something. And it's like, you have to find other ways of saying the exact same thing for 120,000 words. And it's so hard. I like to add like quirks, like what does this character do when she's nervous or like when she needs to think? So like one of my, my character, my main character, she'll like play with her clothes or like twist her hands. Um, and then um, her, like, the her and, like, the, I guess, love interest, they'll, they, they have, like, a, I guess, a sarcastic kind of friendship, and they'll, like, jab each other, or, like, they'll tug on her scarf, or she'll, like, jab him in the, sh- like, with her shoulder. Um, I don't know if that's, like, the same as the size or whatever, but it's just, No, I it, love it. I think that's like, a better way of a, doing it. Yeah. Uh, it's not yeah, a force. That, that's something that Savannah and I were talking about, like just giving little distinct things that each character yeah. does that you know that's what I do. For example, one, uh, uh, I think a good thing is to have like a list that you go back to to look at. For example, one that I do is like playing with a loose thread of your shirt, like you know, or like playing. I have one where it's like playing with the hair, or playing with your fingernails, or uh, well, it's just basically creating a list of all those things that okay, which one are going back to. And that feels natural in that moment, too, as well. I also think that that's a good way to show character growth. Um, Like in Vanity, she was always pulling at her clothes when she was nervous. But by the end of the first book, she was doing it less and less and less and less. And it's because, you know, it was kind of a nervous tick of hers. And she was starting to relax and feel a little bit more comfortable in her own skin and around the people she was. You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber. Please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. 
When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit inspiresleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at inspiresleep.com. Around and, and with her life and the way it was going. Um, so I think that's also a good way to show character growth is when some of those um, sort of coping mechanisms come to the wayside. Back to Marissa, you know, in the beginning when we meet Crest, she's constantly imagining and fantasizing about her life as a coping mechanism. Um, and then by the time we get to winter, she doesn't really do that for a really long time. She doesn't do it at all until they're back at the the palace at Artemisia. And then she's like, okay, I'm a criminal mastermind. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And it's like, oh, that's right. She used to do that as a coping me- mechanism, but it fell off in such a natural way that we didn't like identify it until it came back. Yeah, no, character development, it is very very important and something is and and then when you start a story that's one of the first things you should keep in mind it's like oh how is my character going to be at the beginning how is my character going to be at the end i feel like the best books i've read always include something that changes about the character and even if something that is not obvious in the face like ah by the way i am brave now um one book is a middle grade book but that i read with my students wonder which i don't some people are familiar with. It's about a boy who has a uh, disability, a uh, facial condition. And at the beginning of the book, it mentions that he usually keeps his hair long. Uh, but at the end of the book, it's very subtle. His dad says, hey, I noticed you got a haircut. It looks great. He's like, thanks. Um, and it's not obvious like, hey, he's more confident in himself. It's more like, oh, wait, he thought mentioned he got a haircut. But at the beginning of this book, he said he always liked to keep his hair long and covering his face. But now his dad said that he has a haircut and looks shorter and he looks more happier. And it wasn't obvious like, hey, by the way, this kid is more confident in himself. Like It's more like something that the reader notices. So character development is something that from very early on in drafting or creating your story or when you're still thinking about it or even in the daydreaming stage, you should be thinking of how is my character going to be different at the end of the of journey the of the thing or everything. Yeah. Or even just like from one book to the next, what's going to change? Yeah, because yeah. if it's a series, you want to also show the growth too, or even mm-hmm. and show little clues here and there. Like at the beginning of the book, the character was uh, trembling just at the thought of talking. Now the character is a little bit more confident. Like yeah. Chris. Yeah, like Chris. How do you guys deal with characters that like, I don't know, um, become I guess numb to the world because so much has happened to them like how do you make them still like the main character and not just like sad all the time oh I'm not the person to ask about that Bethany will (laughs) tell you that I think um (laughs) I think you just have to find reasons for them to not be sad even if it's just like a tiny tiny thing um you know, even if it's just like relief because it's actually a nice day outside instead of it usually being too hot or too cold or something. And I think what you have to do is you have to think about yourself a little bit um, and think like, well, when I'm upset, what is it that will change a narrative for me? Um, And so it has to be something small, like maybe she saw a butterfly. And it was really pretty. <laughs> maybe the sun was shining for the first time in like a month. Maybe, maybe someone that she knew was uh, was nice to her, and they're not usually nice to her. Maybe 
their husband did weird dances while they were recording <laughs> so that they could laugh. Um, little things. I yeah, think little, so- little tiny things where, it's, and it's not necessarily like, like for me right now, what I'm working on is like, God, how much does she cry? Is there another way for her to be sad? Like, you need to pull yourself together, girl. Um, but at the same time, like, I know people, myself included, who constantly cry. So it's like, it's still kind of an accurate description of a person, like, of how people act. You just have to find a way to make it so that it's like, not overwhelming so you don't feel kind of like suffocated like okay 50% of the book is this but it's also like okay we get it she's sad and I think flashbacks also help there so if yes. the character is numb because something has happened then show flashbacks or scenes where it shows difference of like hey the character was so much happier and things like that and that shows also progression as well because character development is not always necessarily going from shy and timid to brave and leading a rebellion sometimes right. it's the other way around for example a villain you can see a villain going from kind of neutral to completely off the rails bad evil person right and that still is character development it shows progression of, of change whether it's from good to bad or back to good or from you know, I'm not saying that you know I'm a timid person, so it's not saying that you know being shy is a bad thing for sure right, not. Right. <laughs> but it's but character progression is that before I could not even make a dentist appointment on the phone. Now I can, and or now I found a way to do it online without having to talk to anybody. Yeah. You know what I was thinking though? I was thinking as a writer, I also sometimes feel like it's it's um it's fun to act out a scene, even if it's just like in your head. I think that sometimes that can help when you're differentiating. It's just like acting it out. I know for me, my husband is quite a bit taller than me. But uh, when I was writing Vanity, the characters were like relatively the same height, maybe off by like an inch or two. And so it was really difficult for me to be like, this is how they like, this is where her head was when they hugged each other and stuff. Because I was like, my head is like, you know, when I'm hugging my husband, my head is like chest level. So it's real easy. There's no like moving your neck this way so you don't bump noses or anything. So I remember I got out a stepladder and I had Quentin stand like in front of me with my stepladder so I could I could visually and physically feel what it would be like to hug someone who's only an inch taller than me. And then that way, when I was writing it, it actually made sense and was realistic. It's, it reminds me of uh, an advice that Maya gave me a while ago. There was I have a habit of writing too much dialogue with barely any descriptions in it. Um, so there was a whole, it was a scene in which it was, you know, it was a villain with the protagonist going back and forth and back and forth, back and forth. And, and it was a lot of dialogue. So, so I told me, Hey, I think in between, like try to add out this conversation with yourself and see or think of, think of it yes. and, and like how go in real life and think of little things that the characters will be doing, pacing back and forth or making hand movements or, you know, or crossing their arms or, you know, like putting a hand on your, on their cheek, on their, on their heads and, you know, any anything yes. that any actions or movement that could happen during a conversation instead of she said, he said, she said, he said. He, like sometimes body, body language talks as well. So sometimes the character doesn't have to say something back. Just crossing arms can already say a lot. Like we're smirking or they clenched their jaw or yeah. And I do that a lot too, just because I'm I constantly try to avoid overuse of he said, she said. And so a lot of times I'll do that because I love dialogue. I love dialogue because I feel like all people do in the real world is talk. And I love interrupting sentences in my books because when people talk to each other, that's exactly what they do. 
And so I try to include that, especially in the one I'm writing right now, because I have two very strong uh, main characters who constantly want to be the center of attention in certain situations. They're like, no, I'm the smart person in the room right now. Um, and so I, I do that a lot. And I think that that's a, a really good way to um, be able to separate yourself because when you're writing, you're like, okay, these are all the words they need to say to each other. And so I think you forget about everything else that's going on. And I think those are the moments uh, when editing is, is it gives you so much power to fix all of that stuff. Well, I'm ed- 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 editing her fourth draft because she's, you know, he's a rock star who's writing on her fourth draft. So. Yeah, I just today, I just finished rewriting the ending, like, because I wanted to, like, take out an element completely. And so now I'm like, do I start on book two? Do I query? I don't know. Because, like, half of it's still bad, but some of it's, like, it's still, I mean, there's, my recent drafts are better, but there's still, like, the disconnect between my first draft and then stuff I added until my fourth draft and you can obviously tell like first draft writing versus fourth draft writing like my I think (laughs) I mean at least I think my writing has has improved um so yeah now I'm at the state where I'm like what do I do next (laughs) I think for me like some scenes just come together and I have to write it later I know so I'm kind of a pantser but if I get an idea, I will write it down and I'll come back to it later. Now, Abigail knows sometimes those ideas are very vague. I once wrote the word raccoon and then made an entire scene about a raccoon. Um, <laughs> but it took like five months. And it, from the storyline, it was like months later that the raccoon even showed up. But I wrote it down like in June. Um, but I know for this book, I wrote the last line of the book just randomly like Quentin and I were at at the store and I stopped and I like typed into my phone and he's like what's that I just like I didn't even want to say it out loud I just like showed it to him and he was like that's good writing and I was like I know right like um so then for me the exciting part was getting to that last line I was every time I wrote I was like "Ooh, this will get me to that I I can't wait this will get get me there um And so I think when you're writing an ending, it has to be one that while you, the writer, are writing it, you're like thrilled. You're like, oh, when my readers get to this ending, they're going to be so mad at me in the best possible way or something, you know, because I know I know Abigail Mm -hmm. and I adore Abigail and I can't wait for her to get to that last line because I know she's going to message me and I know she's going to demand for the second book. And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that someone will finish the book and be like, where's the next one? I need this. I need to know what happens. Yeah. I'm also a fan of like declarative endings like that, though. I I love short chapters with um, a good last uh-huh. line. Me too. I love like poetic lines. I like one that... There was one that uh, Sumaya uh, did. Hope you don't mind me sharing the one word oh, transitions yeah, from one. one question. If if she's not okay with it, like edit this out, okay? <laughs> uh, it was the one where you say like not to say anything, like not too much. Uh, that in uh, the protagonist's point of view, she thinks about how could this be or whatever, and then the next chapter starts with one word, as answering the answering the for the previous question from the last chapter 
Yeah, I love that. I like doing that with perspectives. I I love like having a big scene and then halfway through the scene, it's like, boom, next chapter. Now we're still in that same scene, but we're in the other person's perspective to see the conclusion of it. Um, And I love doing that because otherwise, how are you going to get both people's you know, without being like, I remember when we argued and I felt like this, like, no, I want both of those and I want to know them now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, sometimes you get the scene mm-hmm. after it had happened. Like, uh, you know, let's say a boy and girl are fighting and then we get it, we get the fight from the girl's point of view. And then later on we get from the boy's point of view is like, he's thinking about like, oh, I should have said this or I should have said that. And just thinking, because different point of views, whether it's fiction or non-fiction, it's always important to know um different perspectives yeah yeah and I think that's why so many books that are first person have those like bonus scenes or bonus chapters where you get somebody else's perspective I'm thinking specifically of like the crave series um loathe to love you love hypothesis um cruel prince so many of them and then the author will give us like a bonus from somebody else's perspective and I think that's why I think even the author sometimes is like I really want this from somebody else's perspective now I will say that's also a very good writing exercise if you are writing something and you have two you know you want the perspective for that chapter to be you know boy but you really want to know how the girl would react. You can write that for yourself. You don't have to share it with the world. You can write it and try to see how she might react physically and things like that. Um, and I know I've done that before just to try and see like how the other person might react. Yeah. I did that with the chapter. Like it felt weak. So I edited it to be the other point of view and I like that one mm-hmm. better. So I like that one instead. Yeah. And that's a good way to see like whose chapter should be in what perspective too. Yeah, especially if you have several uh like a group of characters like Six of Crows where it's a uh group of people doing trying to accomplish one goal and and see how they get there as well. Yeah. I know for me when I'm and I'm this is something I'm a little worried about for readers, but as the writer, I really enjoyed doing it. So I'm going to keep it no matter what. But I liked giving random perspectives for certain chapters yeah, that, so that, that we could see how the how other people thought of what was going on. Like, OK, yes, we get it. Our main characters. But like, how did the rest of the world perceive what was happening? And I know readers might get to those chapters and be like, oh, I wish I could have had her perspective for that. But like. From a writing standpoint, it's going to do better the way that it is. I honestly feel like it depends on the book. Like there have been a couple of times in the series I'm working on right now where it's like, oh, I could have a real quick flashback because this happened in this person's life when she was nine, but she's 18 right now. But like, I don't really, I haven't established my format isn't one that includes flashbacks. So it would have been awkward to suddenly include a flashback, but I couldn't really include that as an actual chapter because the story starts when the character is 18. So I, I don't have that backstory so that I usually then try when I haven't formatted to include flashbacks to try and tell that flashback through her telling another character or her remembering, Oh my gosh, remember when we were little and we did that? Oh my gosh, oh, yeah, that's right. Ha ha ha. Whereas like my first series daughter of the moon, I have the format of flashbacks and I have repeated flashbacks that, yeah, that kind of like 
the flashback will set up why this character feels this way. Oh, because this happened when she was eight or because this happened when he was younger, or, you know. So I think, I think it just depends on the story. That shows also character development, like I was talking about earlier, that it shows uh, how she was then and how she is now. And then and it can also show that transition as slowly going from point A to point B of that character's life as well. Yeah, you definitely need like breaks from um, someone's point of view, which is, I think, like I have one point of view, but I do have to present. So it kind of gives like that different tone of voice because like her past, she was a different person. How do you guys feel about flashbacks? I, I mind for in Vanity, I felt like when I added them, they added a lot more to the story. But the book I'm writing right now, like it doesn't need flashbacks. So, but how do you guys feel about? Do you feel like it depends on the book? Do you, as a writer, like writing them so much that you find a way to include them? Depends on the story for sure. Uh, like, and it should be done to other. Uh, like you said, like it to explain something, but I feel like if it's used to summarize, then I feel like we missed out a lot. For example, I, I love the Hunger Games, but Mockingjay, there were a few things that I just, um, uh, that kept happening. Like, for example, it was either that Katniss, like, got, uh, spell unconscious or whatever, and then the next day she will wake up and someone will fill her in. And it was like, it keeps happening. And, and sometimes, and, and I'd rather see it myself than you just telling me, uh, so then last time, well, you were doing this. This is what we did. Like, I'd rather see, you know, like other, like, casually mention it. Uh, like, in, like when Samaya and I were, uh, doing critiques, like sometimes a character would say, it, sometimes it will be, so the character bought a ring and she was wearing it. And, and I'm like, it, it will be even more powerful if you show the scene instead of when the character first received the ring from her father and that's why it's so important today. Um, so definitely, I guess, it's fla- uh, flashbacks should be used to try to connect you to the character and parts of the story over summarizing, for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll listen to my... Uh, yeah. I think... Comparison, yeah. I'll listen to my explain that since she's, it's her story. See how... I thought you were going to say something. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, like, for me, because I'm writing in a Thousand One Nights retelling, I can use the, I use folk tales as a form of, like, flashbacks. Um, so that, that's fun. Such a genius. Just a genius. idea. when she told me about it, I got to do folk tales. I'm like, I, I love this. I love, because instead of saying, like, hey, this, uh, this lamp uh, was passed down from this one vendor instead, which is like you're in the story, and suddenly somebody's telling a story in a folk tale. <laughs> it is amazing poetic language because she was why has this great talent for poetry <laughs> in prose, <laughs> and 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 it's it flows so casually too as well. So and then you get these flashbacks that you don't even think they're flashbacks; they're just like people <clears throat> telling folk tales in the middle of the story, and then at the end you're like. Oh my gosh, that's what happened. And it doesn't even feel like a flashback. It just feels so natural. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which um I can't remember if I got this idea before <laughs> after I read Stardust Thief. I'm still not done with it, but Stardust Thief Stardust Thief by Chelsea Abdullah. Um, she uses folk tales too, and they're like so so good. Um 
And it's perfect for a thousand and one nights retail. So speaking of what just happened with Natalie praising Sumaya, um, I know a lot of times Abigail and I will get asked what a critique partner is and how you get one. So for me, I will say the reason I thought of this is because Natalie is Sumaya's biggest cheerleader. And I think that that's a big portion of a critique partner. It's like one part sounding board, one part editor, one part free cheerleader. Um, and I know I got mine because I emailed Abigail and asked her to read my book. <laughs> yeah, you sent me <laughs> like really one like chapter. Yeah, you're like, here, that? what do you think? <laughs> um, but what, what do you guys think about a critique partner and yep. what they do for you? <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to read each other's things and also be able to encourage each other. When I was like, I don't believe in my story. I don't know yes. where I'm going with this. Like, I believe in you. I want to know what happens next. So yes. like, okay, I'll do it for you, I guess. Like, like if you're going to write, just at least let me finish the book. Don't leave me hanging. And also, I'll be, I'll be working on that stuff. Well, then the converse of that is if you, like, are writing something either that isn't quite there yet or that you're not sure about you can have someone not even saying like oh this specific project is good but you are good as a writer this is good writing pursue something else or not even pursue something else try try it with it It can just give you that spark of motivation to keep going instead of feeling like oh this isn't any good I don't like this I'm terrible you know it can kind of cross between this project is no good and I'm no good and if you have someone saying no this project is good or yeah maybe that project isn't fit for you but hey that writing is really good why don't you take this aspect and twist it a little bit and make it fit you but you know what I mean it can just kind of like give you uh, just give you that little spark of motivation to keep writing I did that with this book I sent it to Abigail I sent it I said Abigail I think I'm on to something please tell me I'm on to something and I sent her, I sent her one chapter. I said, am I on to something? And you were like, yeah, go write this. And I was like, yeah, it's okay. Because sometimes I feel like you, not that you need like validation from other people, but like sometimes I feel like me as a writer, I get so overly mm -hmm. excited about something that I don't necessarily like take the time to consider like, is this actually valuable? <laughs> is this something I should be spending my time on? And sometimes it's nice to have another person be like, yes. Spend all of your time on this. It's okay if you like don't cook or clean or shower for the next two days. Like just write this book. It's fine. Yeah, that's I kind of had like a similar um mm -hmm. thing with an aspect of my book. I felt like I needed to have it. Um and then when I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't need it. Yeah. Like is it is it that important? Yeah. Maybe it's like important to like the original story of Aladdin, but do I need it? And then suddenly like it, it was so much easier. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to add, like, um, about critique partners. I think me and Natalie, like, we work so well because we're just so alike. We, like, we read the same. <laughs> we, we, like, love the same types of books. And we're both, like, super into history and games. And it's just, like, nice to have, like, friend who writes. Yeah. Yeah, like, Sumaya saying, why, why isn't it, you know, if you feel... If you feel isolated by contemporary, why not make it historical fantasy? When it was contemporary, I could barely get past the first chapter. And I was like, I know this is a good idea. Why can't I go anywhere with it? And then as soon as she said historical fantasy and I committed to historical fantasy, I wrote the entire book in like a week. Yeah. 
We also also fill out each other's uh, weaknesses as well, where, like I said, I do a lot of dialogue to the point that you don't even know what's going on. It's just people talking and vibing. Um, and, and so I, it's a lot of description instead. is a lot of uh, paragraphs. It's like, well, I think this is like, we both have like something that we need to work. I need more paragraphs and you need more dialogue. So let's just yeah. mesh our stories basically and find all those like spots and you know, praise each other's strengths and work on each other's weaknesses. So, yeah. I uh, like, yeah. I think something like that with Abigail and me is there's a big age gap between me and Abigail. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's really great because I can be like, a 19-year-old wouldn't do this, right? And she can be like, no, they would not. And then sometimes I can, I can be like, I'm not sure that that's how someone who's like a mom would act. Maybe they could do this or... Maybe they could do that or, or something. So I think like an age difference helps our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And like there have been a couple of times where you would reference something in vanity. Um, what was it that you had said? Oh, she was she was on Facebook or something. And I was like, Bethany, 19 year olds aren't on Facebook anymore. <laughs> well, we were talking about his parents, though, remember? Oh, was we were talking about his parents. Yeah, we were talking about Xander's parents, and we were saying, like, there was, I know exactly what you're talking about. So there was oh. a scene in Vanity where the main character's love interest was separated from his family. They were estranged. And she was like, well, how do you not know anything about each other? Like, don't they, like, isn't there, like, Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook? And he's like, come on, who has Facebook? Yeah, that was it. But, like, I was like, yeah, I was like, but the old people would have Facebook, <laughs> right? And and she was like, just take it out. It's just better if you just take it out. It's, <laughs> That's right. That was it's it. Too, it's it's, I get what you're saying, but just get rid of it. It's gross. And I was like, okay. And I took it out. And then like, I think I gave it a day or two and I came back and I read it and I'm like, okay, the scene still comes across the way I wanted it to. And all I did was take out one mm -hmm. word. Like, and sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes you need someone who's like, look, I understand what you're trying to say. Is there an easier way to do yes. this? Can we do that? We simplify this so that we're not like, you know, you don't have to spoon feed your reader. Sometimes you can just get there on mm -hmm. your own. And I know that I know I've done that before with a few scenes um, with one of Abigail's characters, because your current series has a lot of characters. I have way too many characters. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of yeah. work. You are very dedicated. Um, but I know there was one. I forget which scene, but I know there was one scene where I was like, I feel like we don't need all of this. In the like, current series or in Daughter of the Moon? I think it's in the current series. I think that there was something in oh, book two or three. Familiar. Yeah, it was like book two or three where like everyone in the room had like a sentence and I was like, or something yeah. about, I know what it is. There was one scene, something happened and everyone in the room had like something separate that they reacted to and they each got like oh, yeah. a whole <laughs> sentence. I was like, I don't yeah. need that. Like, I can tell you right now, based on the context, even I'm like outraged by what just happened. So, you know, a you gap just here assume, and a yeah. clenching jaw there, like we can connect the dots ourselves. And sometimes that's a another reason critique partners are helpful because they we get so attached to our mm -hmm. story and we get attached to our characters and we want to defend it and we want to keep it. But sometimes even if it's really well written, we just don't. Right. Need it. And that doesn't mean you it later if you're like this is a really well-written sentence fine okay put it aside save it maybe it can go in another chapter maybe it can go in another book but like right here in this moment we don't need mm -hmm. it 
It's it's like uh, I think Marisa Meyer said something similar uh, when she published the deleted scenes on her website for TLC, um, and and she in, in one of those deleted scenes she said, "I really wanted this. I fought for this. I wanted it. I enjoyed writing the scene, but unfortunately." It's just, it had to go. Yeah. And it hurts me. Brushy put deleted scenes but on her website? Put, yeah, let me send you the link. I still haven't read them. There's like nine of them and they're brilliant. And I love them. And also it's great because I'm like, okay, see, I'm not the only one whose first draft is kind of like messy. <laughs> like you come up with this really good paragraph and then it's like, it doesn't work with my story anymore, but it's like my baby now. I can't just throw it out. And, you know, one of the things I did with my current series is I had this really great, not necessarily scene, but plot point, and I loved it so much. And when I went back and did my first round of edits, I was like, I love this scene. It's yeah. way too early. I cannot mm-hmm. have them have this interaction right now. Like, it's it's way too early, and it's so funny, and it's so cute, and it's so sweet, but it just, it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Um, and I remember I saved the entire thing. And then like maybe three or four days ago, I was like, did I, I still have that scene. Right. And I kind of tweaked it a little bit and changed the character perspective. And I was able to put it in this book Mm -hmm. in book two, where it actually made a lot more sense. So sometimes just keep it, don't necessarily like destroy it and, and exude it from the world. And it never existed. Like just put it in a little folder that says maybe later or something on your computer and save it because it might not work in this story. It might not work in that scene, but that doesn't mean that it won't work sometime mm-hmm. or someday or some at some point in the future. Yeah, you don't have to completely gut it. You can just put it in a will use later. And so I found the blog in which she mentions this, and it says, uh, this is actually a really special scene for me, and it was very hard for me to cut. In fact, it was so hard for me to get rid of it that it, it became the inspiration for something old, something new, which for those who don't know is one of the short stories in the Star collection for TLC. So even though the, this is uh, this deleted scene on her blog did not make it, uh, it even it st- started a whole new different story instead. And, and there was another one that another deleted scene in which is Kai and Cinder kissing for the first time. Like and and I think she says that it was just too early for it to happen, but I needed to write a scene. I needed to get it out of my system first. And, yes, and, and I feel yes. that. Like, I just need to get something out of the system. Like, I, need to, I, I know this doesn't make any sense here, but I need to write this now. I need to get it out. I need to see it and then And I think that's away. where I was when I wrote it is because I was writing so much where they were like the will they, won't they kind of thing because, you know, they can't meet and fall in love. You have to show it. They have to get to know each other. They have to connect in some way. But when you're writing it, you just want to get there sometimes. Sometimes you just want that happy moment. And I think for me, I wrote that. And when I went back, I was like, man, they've only known each other a week. Like, this has got to go. But at the when I was writing it, I really wanted it. And I think it did help me stay on that path. So, I mean, yeah, I completely agree. I think that sometimes you just have to do it for yourself. Um, and maybe it will be the inspiration. And you know what? Maybe it'll live on your computer for the rest of your life. But at the moment that you wrote it, it brought you joy. And that's what matters. That's what writing is about. Yeah, even if it's not completely got it, it can, it can inspire a whole different book, a whole different series. And, and even if you don't end up using it, like you said, you know, you just needed to get that exercise going and get your fingers working. And, and, and like, and, and I, I couldn't find a blog to read it verbatim, but if I remember correctly, Marissa was saying, 
something along those lines of I knew it w- was not gonna fit in here, or maybe it did. I don't remember cr- exactly what she said, but I just had the scene in my head, and I just needed them to do something. <laughs> like I just yeah. wanted to get it out. Um, and I think sometimes when we're writing, we forget that we forget that like we're doing it because we enjoy it, um, especially if we're editing, because I think sometimes we can get in the mindset of like, well, how is someone who's reading this going to react? I was telling Abigail this earlier that like, for me right now, my book feels amazing. And I, I'm like, super excited about it. And I feel like I really did something great. And I'm excited for her to read it. But I'm terrified for anyone else to read it because not everybody is going to be my cheerleader. And I'm terrified that they're going to tell me it's not good or they're not going to like this or they're not going to like that. And then I'm going to get bogged down that this is a bad book or a bad story or bad characters. And it's going to take away some of that joy that I feel when I'm writing and reading. And so we have to just find a way to keep to keep doing what brings us that joy when we're writing, even if it is writing a scene that we know is going to end up on the cutting room floor. We wrote it. And it did what it needed to in that moment. And maybe someday when we're famous, it'll be on our blog as a deleted scene. Like our, mm-hmm. our group name, the will be famous one day author. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just so everybody knows what our Instagram group name is. So we'll be famous authors one day. And I think also sometimes you don't even need to write because you need to get it published. Sometimes you just need to get it out of your system, out of your head. Like Stephanie Meyer, when she wrote Twilight, she... Did it. She didn't do it because I'm gonna write a best-selling international phenomenon. She did right. it because I had a dream about some vampires, and honestly, it was it was stuck in my head for so long. I just wanted to write it and get it out. I wasn't planning on publishing it. It was just on my computer, and I for, I forgot how the story goes exactly. But when she was writing it, she wasn't thinking of uh, you know querying edit, uh, agents or getting it edited. She was just like, I just want to do this for my own entertainment, and I just. I just want to do it because I enjoy, I enjoy this. And look at that. It is now, you know, million copy franchise. For me, this whole project started as a um, a coping mechanism. I, listeners know I lost my father recently and I was struggling just with everyday life um, to the point where like my husband and my stepmom and my sisters were like, you really, you should talk to somebody. You need a grief counselor. Like this is getting out of hand. Um, and so I talked to somebody, I went to betterhelp.com and I talked to a therapist and, um, the therapist was like, okay, you said you like to write. So the next time that you feel like you're, you just can't anymore. Cause I kept saying, I can't, I can't do anything. And she's like, next time you feel like you just can't write about it, write how you're feeling, write what's going on in your mind. Just let it out and and get get it out of your system um and i ended up writing word for word exactly what happened during the services for my father um and then like 2 months later it it became the first chapter of my book yeah sometimes sometimes it comes it might feel like oh i'm just going to write this down or maybe i have an idea but like if you can get it out into the world on a piece of paper or you know, video recording on your phone, which I have a lot of, I need to get go through my voice recordings um, or just tell it to another person. Sometimes getting it out and into the world can be enough for you to be like, wait a minute. That was, that was a lot of fun. I feel a lot better after doing that. I want to, I want to keep going with this. I think there's something here. It's a coping mechanism. It makes me happy. It brings me joy. I want to share it with other people, whatever, whatever you might feel about it. Um, but if you just get it out, sometimes that's exactly what you need. 
I think I found here what uh, Stephanie Mayer said. It was um, she had never written anything before, so she was like not a uh, writer before that. But she finished it in a matter of three months, um, and she said she was writing for her own enjoyment, never thinking of publishing it. Uh, but her sister liked the book and encouraged her to uh, submit this manuscript to literary agents. So all started because she had a story in her head, and she was enjoying it for her own entertainment and enjoyment, and it led to other people enjoying it. Like, I know you, Bethany, are a huge Twilight fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, let people like you be able to find that one book that, oh, this is my, my book. It's my comfort yeah. book. Like, thank you for letting it out into the world. Even if it all started as your own personal project and yeah, because people will mm-hmm. notice when, if you enjoy doing something, they will notice that joy. And you know, it's like one advice that I know said, like, if you are not enjoying writing your own book, then how do you know your reader will enjoy it too? Yeah. And that's like yeah. the, um, I guess it's the most. I guess like you can say it's overused advice, but it's the best advice. It's like write for yourself. Yes. It's like if you don't write for yourself, who's gonna read it? Like there's gotta be someone that like relates to you. Yeah. And it's also like if you're writing for another person, if you're if while you're writing you're like, What are readers gonna think about this? Or what are readers gonna think about that? Or will this sell or will this be popular? Then I feel like you're not being genuine to your story. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mar- uh, Marissa Meyer herself, herself said it. Like, who back then the, the craze was dystopian? Who wanted to read a book about cyborgs and and robots and, and futuristic? Yeah. People want their dystopian stuff these days. And I don't know. The same thing with uh, that's what Steph, uh, Stephanie Garber, author of Garba, also said as well. Like, write what make what you are obsessed with. Write the book that you want to read. And you know, yeah. and it, it can become a bestseller. It can become. It can just be only five hundred readers reading it. But you know what? Maybe those five hundred people will be happy reading that book, and that will be their comfort book. It doesn't have to be a million people. Sometimes it's just you know a hundred people. Those hundred people will love it. You're making those hundred people mm-hmm. happy. Whenever um, Abigail and I have talked about it before, where people are constantly sort of in our ears about querying and publishing and things like that, and I know Abigail is always like. I mean, if it gets queried and published by a traditional, like, publishing company, that's great. But, like, I just want people to read it. So I'm just going to put it in the world. Who cares who published it? Yeah, like, I know it's not, it shouldn't be, like, getting Mm -hmm. people's approval. But, I mean, when Natalie reads, like, and she's like, oh, this is such a good line. I'm like, oh. I know. I was telling Abigail earlier, I was like, it doesn't, I don't think it's going to feel real until you read it because, because she's probably the only person in the world who's read everything I've written story-wise is Abigail. Like Quentin listens to me, (laughs) but Abigail reads it. And I feel like it's right now, it's this like really cool abstract thing. And I feel like once Abigail reads it, it'll feel like a little bit more solidified for me. Like, Maybe I maybe I'm a little too codependent on my critique partner. <laughs> no, it's like I said, if you one other person is happy, then you know, you know, it just, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a million people to get you know nah. through what you need. Sometimes it's just one person reading it and making that person happy. Uh, yeah. Like there's, uh, it's sometimes self publishing it online just to get it out there, so at least it can find a few people. It's also good. Like there's uh, the author of the selection series. Her first novel was. Um, Published. Uh, published and then later on when she published her second series as election her publisher was like hey just like you know your fan fiction or your 
tough to let you on the most popular readers list. Now edit it and let's put it out a more traditional way. And yeah, and but she got the story out there. The main benefit of traditional publishing is getting the book to more readers. But I mean, there are other ways to do that as a as an indie author. I know MT Zimney is very proactive she's like constantly like she applies to be a part of book fairs and festivals she constantly goes to like different bookstores and calls like she she once said like that she would go to any bookstore within driving distance if it was like a 12-hour drive she would go there and do a signing because she can drive there um and when she drives she's like even if only one person comes in that day that's one more person that's one more person that read my book and maybe they liked it and if they liked it maybe they'll share it with other people and I remember when I was writing Vanity, that's what I wanted because I thought like maybe other people have felt this way too. And when I'm writing the book I'm working on right now, which is uh, has been a huge coping mechanism for me and, and the loss of my father and my grief. And I'm even now I'm like, if even just one person reads this and they're like, okay, I'm not the only one who can't handle grief and can't handle loss. Like then that's something that's someone who who benefited from me sharing the story and writing it down. And that never would have happened if I had been like, no one wants to read this book. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be um, just like think of your own self and think of what book others like your comfort book, the one that you go back to when uh, maybe it was like get out of your book and reread your favorite scenes once in a while yeah, uh, or look at it. This is my current obsession. With so that. <laughs> and think about it like it is probably at least one of the person who's going to have that comfort book to make them, you know, super happy and fuzzy. For me, it's when I uh, when I read TLC for the first time, I was going through a period of a lot of anxiety and stress. So I discovered this book series and I got lost in it. And, you know, my family didn't see me for a whole week because I was in planet Earth. I was in um, Luna and I was in a rampant spaceship and it brought me so much comfort and joy in the midst of all the stress that it made me forget about the things that were stressing me out. And just made me realize, like, oh my goodness, I just escaped. I escaped somewhere else. <laughs> and and sometimes writing is like that. Like right now, I can't stop. I was telling you guys earlier that I just when even when I'm at work, I keep thinking of ideas and I keep writing. I feel like sometimes writing is your escape, and you don't want to do anything else. And so you don't. So many people like writing is just an escape. Like this, what's the word? Escapism. Yeah. Yeah. And like writing yeah. can be that too. You like transport yourself to the world that you made. Just like. Do you guys feel that way when you're working on a project and you're excited? Because I know for me, I'm like, I'll have a dream or I'll wake up at, there's one time I woke up at 2.30 in the morning and I like I just had to pee. But like, as soon as I woke up, my brain was like, you could write. If you sat at your computer right now, you could write for seven hours before you have to go to work. And I immediately like got a cup, I got a cup of coffee and I started writing because I was like, oh, my God, I have seven hours. And I remember I told Quentin and he was like, you know, you 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 could have spent that seven hours like asleep. And I was like, no, I wrote I spent it writing. I've never done that. But my best ideas come when I'm like drifting off to sleep. And I'm like, if I roll over and type it on my phone, then it's going to take me another 30 minutes (laughs) to go back to sleep. I I found that like I have found <laughs> what works for me is sometimes not sleeping works for me. Sometimes I'll wake up and I'll get an idea and I'm like, okay, but it's two o'clock in the morning. And then I'll lay in bed until like four thirty trying to go back to sleep and I'm like, 
I had just gotten up and wrote that down, I could have had two hours. And there are definitely times where I wake up, I can't sleep, I'll write for like two or three hours, and then I go back to bed and I get sleep again. Um, and that's just me. That's that's what works for me because sometimes when I wake up and I can't fall back asleep, I feel like I'm wasting time. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm just laying there for like four hours not sleeping anyways. I might as well be writing. That was me in college. Like I have an exam in the morning and I should be sleeping, but I'm like studying in my head so bad. Sometimes I would dream and I'm still studying. Like Yes. <laughs> Sometimes right now I'm dreaming and I'll, I'll, I'll have ideas like that. But, you know, um, I like to uh, keep my phone by my bed. I never used to do that. Never used to do that. But here <laughs> recently I've been keeping it like literally next to my pillow. Um, and so sometimes I'll wake up, I'll put an idea in there and I'll just go right back to sleep. Because sometimes it's just like it's sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I could write this whole scene. And sometimes it's like this would be a fun joke and I'll just put the joke in there and then I'll just, I'll move on or word choice. Abigail probably hates that word. The concept of word choice probably, I'm sure she could spend her whole life never hearing it again, but it's my favorite thing in the world. Word choice, word choice, word choice, word choice. (laughs) We used that one too much. What else can we use? Or this is a really cool word. I love it. Um, And so there's a, there's a note on my phone. There's one of my note folders is titled word choice. And um, it's it's literally nothing but like random words that I've heard in my life that I think would be good. So let me share one of them for you guys. Um, Unmanageable, unreceptive, inscrutable, thick silence, like that one. Uh, Frequency. This is one Quentin gave me. Spatial awareness. Another one from Quentin, a dangling moment. Yeah. Uh, Wedged under the skin, bark of the wind, emotional cycle, wretchedly, bristle, rueful. This thing is so long. Like, I know readers (laughs) can't see this, but this is like a really long document. And it's just random (laughs) words or sentences where I'm like, well, this would be cool. Where can I use this? I do the exact same thing, Bethany. Can I share a few? Yes. It's, it's like I said earlier, like sometimes like it was regarding dialogue, but if you're running out of things that you want the characters to say, have a list and you could go back to in this case, you know. Yeah. Lists are great. I don't know if anybody here here next, but I, mean, I, lo- I just feel like I repeat so much. Like, like you said, we're like, they're always sighing. So like when I, when I do my edits, I can, I'll like control F and I'll type in sigh. And I'm like, how can I fix this so that when I do that the next time it doesn't have 9,000 results? where we use that one word in the book or like um what I've noticed a lot when reading romances is like they're always cupping they're always cupping the cheek or stroking the cheek or touching the face and I'm like I've been married for 10 years my husband never cups my face like there has to be another way to show affection like funny because I use that (laughs) I do I use that but like in a in a bad way like they were gripping oh I love it Another big one is like the chin, like they'll touch you by the chin so that you meet their gaze. Oh, I love that though. I've done that. I mean, it's like if it's, I do that, the villain did that again. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I have. I think it's perfect. I think I included it two or three times in my story. Um, But the first time I went back and did edits, I was like, there has to be something different. Why did I use this so much? Like this, this, Abigail's going to get to this and be like, Bethany, are you sure you edited it at all? <laughs> 
like. Um, I was. Uh, something that Miss Maya were talking about was that sometimes we had the habit of putting the character thought or she thought or she wondered, and instead um, put an action instead, or um, and and then just do a control F or search the document and put how many times you have the word thought. She thought, yeah. she wondered, and just put instead, she gazed at, or she, uh, or sometimes don't back, even say gazed. she think or she wondered. Just put it in italics. Readers yeah, yeah I do that. that. I love that. Readers know that italics means it's something you thought. So just take that out. Just put it in italics. Yeah, we were talking about first versus third person. I wanted to mention that I love how in third person you can still insert first person thoughts. Thought, yeah. Like, oh, darn, or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things where we talked before about I said, she said, he said, where sometimes if you go back, you don't, if you write a scene and go back, to, if you're listening to this and you're a writer, go back and look at your work and look at one scene that's all dialogue and take out I said, he said, she said, take it all out and tell me if you can still hear the voices. Because if you can still understand who's talking, you do not need that. Especially if it's I said comma and then I looked away or he said solemnly. Okay, we don't need that. I think it's something that I've seen professional writers also warn about <laughs> is that sometimes we go a little crazy with words to replace said. She yeah, exasperated or she whispered. And so yeah. there's some authors that said, that say, hey, sometimes there's too much. Sometimes you don't want that many. Oh, she exasperated. He, he whispers. She yells. Like sometimes said is enough. And sometimes you yeah. don't even need to put said at all. Like just do a, just have that dialogue flow without saying said or whispered or whatever. And you know, obviously you don't want a whole page. Let it be the other person. Like instead of saying she whispered, just have the dialogue and the other person be like, I could barely hear her. Okay, well, we know she was quiet. We know her voice was small in that moment. You know, maybe the whole thing is an argument and you go from a bunch of exclamation points to a period. Now we can see a transition in the story. Maybe, like, the shoulders slump before they talk. So we know that, like, they went from being really tense to, like, either relaxing or just completely deflating into themselves. So you don't necessarily have to say whispered. It's just, it's kind of evident there. Yeah, it's uh, like, like we said at the beginning of this, it, you want things to be subtle, whether it's description. Yeah. And some show, like the good old, good old fashioned advice that still yeah. is relevant. But I will say sometimes, sometimes tell is great. Um, if you're interested in the best way to tell without it being like, oh, um, I recommend Allie Hazelwood. I think she does a really good job of, of the separation. Like sometimes you can do show versus tell, but sometimes if you want to do tell, there's a good way to do it and a bad way to do it. Maybe not bad way. Bad way is probably not the right word choice. Um, there's an easier way to do it. And so if you're looking for an example of that, I would recommend Allie Hazelwood. Just read like one chapter. You'll figure it out pretty quickly. It's a very obvious writing format that she uses. I think we should wrap it up. Maybe like with Marissa, like what's one writing advice you could give to anyone? That'd give me like a few business days to think about this. 
Well, this one is more meta, but it's something oh, that uh, Samaya and Bethany know about this. So maybe you might like to start this as well, Abigail. But I have a writing advice notebook that I take yeah. with me to every writing or conference or book fair. And I meet authors and they sign our book. And then I ask, can you give me your best writing advice? And then I have this book this notebook now it's about it's uh, close to 50 pages now about have about 30 something or 40 something authors in there that have given me advice and um so when i'm losing motivation i can look at it and um uh, and see whether i some of them have been short like stephanie garber wrote there write what you're obsessed with and then i have yeah. other authors who wrote a whole paragraph <laughs> And one of them who wrote, can't wait to read to read when you publish your book or something like that. So I guess mine will be uh, well, uh, write what you're obsessed about, but also I recommend get a notebook. And when you go to a book fair or a book signing, have an author sign it with a writing advice. Um, so that way you can keep that as a little motivation. Yeah. Sally, I wanted to mention, I'm not sure if I told you, but um, I got Hessa Fatal to write in my, <laughs> oh my, God, I need a my journal. So like, she gave me so much advice for like 20 minutes. She was so nice. She just kept talking to me. Um, and then I was like, oh, can you write like advice here? And she's like, but I already said it all. So like, she just, I'm like, oh, you can write whatever. Just like sign it at least. And she said, so Maya, write the book of your heart unapologetically. Best of luck. Unapologetically. Love that word. I love it. Yeah, so I remember mentioning that idea. We were at the North Assisting Book Fair, and then yeah. so I, all of us were like, "Do you have an extra notebook?" <laughs> um, so even in in Bethany started going even to the authors that she didn't even have a a book for them to sign, but she would go to any author that was available and say, yeah. "Do you mind signing this?" And I think authors got so happy because like, "Oh my goodness, I made it up to the point where I'm the one giving this advice." Yeah, uh, I would say like from me just to like just to not say what I know listeners have already heard which is is everything right like we hear all the time like write what you want to read um write what you think you know will make you happier things like that um but I would say for me it's this find this if you can find other writers to talk to and share ideas with and bounce ideas off of and just motivate each other. I don't know about you guys, but like, I can't wait to write now after talking to the three of you. I'm going to try and start my outline. Yeah, at the docs, not going because I've been editing. So my story is <laughs> she's like her fourth draft. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I would just, this would be my recommendation. If you're listening to this and you're looking for advice that you maybe haven't heard before, find another right. You know what? If you can't find one, Message me on Pinterest, on Pinterest, on Instagram. <laughs> I have a whole discord of writers and people that I'm writing and friends with. I will add you. Yeah, great community. Just today, before we started uh, this uh, session, uh, somebody was asking uh, on the discord, like, guys, I need, I need a name for a town, quick. And then four of us just <laughs> I jumped. I remember that, yeah. And somebody then, throw it out there. And four of us just jumped in there and just went like, oh, this, 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 and this. And like, oh, I have this and I have this. And yeah, there you yeah. go. Abigail, what about you? Do you have any writing advice? I You're was the only one here who's published. <laughs> well, self-published. That's not, I mean. It still counts. <laughs> I'm counting it. I've got your book I'm counting it. Oh, thank you. I would honestly say if you can't, if you absolutely cannot write, you're in a slump, you're stuck, you don't know what, you don't know what to do, read. 
find a book you love, find an author you admire, and read. Because yeah, sometimes you'll just read a sentence, you'll see a character, and you're like, ooh, what if they did this? You can just find a little nugget of inspiration somewhere. So if you can't write, read. Love it. <laughs> Fill that well. Um, do I give one? Uh, you gave me an idea with your Pinterest one. Um, start a Pinterest board. So my advice would be yeah. a Pinterest board. I have one for like characters, like setting, location, and also like pull some aspects from your, mm-hmm. I mean, culture or background that can add like a nice flair to your story that people might not have access I'm to. So otherwise. Know. <laughs> a big thank you to my three favorite writers for Ooh. agreeing to do this. This is amazing. Um, I hope listeners enjoyed listening to us. This is how we normally have meetings. So <laughs> if you're ever like, I wonder what a writing meeting is like. It's just the four of us talking at each other until we absolutely have to get off the phone. So this is what you guys, I know we tried to talk to you guys in, who are listening, but this is what it's normally like. Too. Um, With a lot more spoilers. Right? Do you guys want to tell everyone where they can find you on social media? And Abigail, shamelessly plug Daughter of the Moon and your Cresswell fan fiction. <laughs> I was going to say my name, my social media outlets are on my name, which it's, uh, you cannot pronounce my name just by me saying it, or you can't find my name just by me saying it. it's Abigail Spajari. <laughs> Good luck finding that. Um, it's <laughs> Abigail. I don't know. Where can I like put, just find Beth, follow Bethany finger. Way easier to find than Abigail. <laughs> just search Abigail. I'm that one. Just scroll through my page. I just did a review. I was going to say, yeah, Daughter of the Moon. Yeah. It's on Amazon. Um, I think it's still on Barnes & Noble. I can't remember if I pulled it from there or not, but it's definitely on Amazon. I write on Wattpad as well. Also, handle is Abigail Spajari. I write 150 chapter Cresswell fan fiction. <laughs> and then literally a bunch of those constantly chapters. number one, too, because there's it's like <laughs> Abigail and one other person, and they are like constantly switching back and forth between who's number one and who's and number I two. And I checked that other person, it's an anime thing like it's not even a lunar chronicles thing i don't know what the crestwell hashtag or is but because i took it i was like okay who keeps edging me out of number one and i looked (laughs) and it was an anime thing so i don't know i don't know what that well then as far as i'm concerned you have the number one thorn and crest fan fiction in the world thank you and i do have my first four books that i'm writing in this current series is also up on webpad yay I don't. Uh, my eyes. I don't use social media that much, but uh, but the one where it's writing stuff and also aesthetics and cool stuff is my Pinterest, which is at Natty Cat N A T Y K A T. Uh, where uh, Smaya and I both use Pinterest a lot. Where we're like, look at my board or look at this thing I found, and and it's such a that's like a great way to find like get that inspiration back. I was just gonna scroll through my thing, and oh my goodness, yeah. look at this. Um. So my Instagram handle is so you s o u a y a underscore. It's just my personal, but I also do like book reviews. Um, I have like four right now. I'm planning on doing a few more. I have like thought to start a bookstagram, but also it sounds like a lot of work. So probably not. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I recently turned my Instagram into like a place where I review books, and sometimes I'm like, I haven't done anything in a week, and then I'm like, yeah, but whatever. <laughs> And then I have my Pinterest, and it's just at Somaya Hedgy, if you want to, like, see my Pinterest from, like, high school. Love it. And currently. 
Oh man, I've had my pictures That's since it. high school. God, there's going to be a lot of stuff on there <laughs> from the last like, 17 yeah, years. There was one, I, I had one from uh, high school, uh, but too recently where I found like it was just so much to reorganize everything. So I just created a new yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for being here. Listeners, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep writing, please. I can't wait to read whatever it is you've written. <laughs> Yay! Okay. You too, Bethany. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. Today's special guests were Sumaya Haji, Natalie Abro Glassford, and Abigail Spajari. You can find links for each of these authors in today's show notes. Thank you for listening.